Well, good morning. If you'd like to open your Bibles with me, we'll be in Matthew today, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Um, one of the, my philosophies of uh, ministry, I guess, or teaching is that I like to um, give you guys a strong dose of Jesus every year from the Gospels. And so it's that time of year again where we go back to Jesus in the Gospels. And uh, last year we spent quite a bit of time from, yeah, quite a bit of time in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 when we did the Sermon on the Mount. So we're kind of going back to the Gospels and picking it up in chapter 8. So up there, what you see, just I wanted to not forget this, so I put it in my slides, is, and, and not all of you make it to the nursery, uh, but that's in the nursery. There's a new mural that Beth has uh, graciously painted um, in, in the nursery. So I just wanted to share that with you. So yes, thank you, Beth. So my question is, uh, this Christmas, uh, what, what do you want? What are you, what are you hoping for this Christmas? Sounds like somebody's mic is still on. I hear, I hear some rattling, so... I don't know where that's coming from, but maybe it's me. Is that me? I'll try to not move. <laughs> so I was asking, what are you hoping for this Christmas? And maybe something jumped to your mind, maybe it didn't. But we know from the book of Ecclesiastes, which is where we were for several weeks, maybe a, a better question, a more joyful question would be, what are you thankful for this Christmas? And so, this is a question I'd like you to think about as we go through this uh, passage. What am I thankful for this Christmas? And so, we'll look at, over the next four weeks, between now and Christmas Eve, we'll look at four gifts that we receive from our Lord as we work through Matthew chapter 8. And uh, the first gift is the one that we'll open this morning. And um, before we do that, I'd, I'd like to look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would stand in front of me while I'm in front of them. Lord, that you would talk over me uh, while I talk to them. Lord, that you would unburden us today, that you would help us rejoice in your glory and in your salvation today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, I have an embarrassing question to ask, because I ran out um, for a second. Did we pass out communion stuff during the songs today? We did. Okay, so you're ready for that, because we're off by a week, because we're doing it a week early because of this passage, so I want to make sure that happened, because I don't have one up here, but I'm sure I will find one between now and when we take communion. Um, yeah, that's fine, Brendan, I see that there, and we're good. Okay, now that I've messed up enough times to really have your attention, let's jump into this. Jesus heals, um, and so we're going to see four healing 
narratives this morning. And again, what you're asking is, what can I be thankful for as we look at these healing passages? So when he came down from the mountain, remember he was up on the mountain giving the Sermon on the Mount. We saw that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now he's come down from the mountain. And when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. That's going to be a key idea, is the idea of following Jesus. Behold, a leper. Okay, let's just call time out here and look at, in, our, in the ESV study Bible, there's a footnote there. You might have a 1 or an A or something else in your Bible, but in the ESV, English Standard Version, there is a footnote that says, Leprosy was a term for several skin diseases. See Leviticus chapter 13. So they didn't know what Hansen's disease was specifically. They just knew you had a problem on the surface of your skin and it might be contagious, so they had to take measures. And so I think what we should do is we should go back to Leviticus chapter 13. And you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but you can. We're going to go back to Leviticus chapter 13 and see what leprosy meant to them before we can understand what's going on with this leper. So the leprous person, Leviticus chapter 13, verse 35, 45 says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes. This is a way of identifying the leper. So the leper would identify himself or herself by wearing torn clothes, by letting the hair hang loose. So you can't, you got to wear torn clothes, you can't comb your hair. And he shall cover his upper lip. So you're kind of walking around like this with raggedy clothes and messed up hair. And he shall cry out, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has a disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Kind of getting the idea of what it meant to be a leper. Like Quarantine was the only solution they had. of Leprosy not spreading. And so... Whatever disease, because they, they couldn't, like I say, they couldn't tell the difference. They just knew that it was a problem on the skin. So they would quarantine them. All right, so bring that with you to this passage. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. In other words... I know you can. Will you? Not a bad prayer for us to pray. Lord, if you will, you can heal me. Lord, if you can, I'm sorry, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I know you can. Will you? And Jesus... This is like slow-mo here. So, you know, bring Leviticus 13 with you to this situation, and the leper violates all manner of rules, comes up to Jesus, falls at his feet, and says, Lord, if you will, you can. And Jesus, in slow motion, stretched out his hand. Like, everyone around him is, like, mouths open, gasping in horror, like, I can't believe he's going to do this. And touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his, his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. And the reason is because the leper would not understand the full implication of what Jesus had done for him. 
Jesus doesn't tell people to go and tell really until after the cross and the resurrection when they can fully understand who he is and what he's doing. See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Here's what I want you to see in this first passage about healing, Jesus' healing. Jesus touches on. Jesus heals untouchable people with his touch. You'll see him heal other people with a word. You'll see him heal other people, and in fact, in the very next story, without even going them, without even being in their presence, he just, he just thinks it, and the person is healed. But he knew that part of healing the leper was touching the leper. Man, see Jesus' heart. See Jesus' heart for the people that everyone else is afraid of that no one else would come close to, that everyone else would hold at a distance, see Jesus' heart as he moved towards them and touches them. Then, when he had entered Capernaum, so I don't know if you can see it or not, but this is the Dead Sea, this is the Jordan River, this is the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum is here on the northern uh, part of the Sea of Galilee. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion, how many soldiers do you think a centurion was in charge of? A hundred. Very good. So, Roman soldier, centurion is in Capernaum. What is a Roman soldier in, in charge of a hundred soldiers doing in Capernaum? Well, you probably know that Rome was occupying Israel. So, so this, these red lines here are the border of Rome's power at its fullest extent, extent and Israel was under Rome's, um, Rome's power. So, so you can imagine, not everyone was in favor of Rome. If the Romans were in Israel as an occupying force, as a colonizing force, to whom they had to pay taxes and they didn't like, and they were in charge, and the Romans were in charge, and they weren't, you can imagine there's a lot of animosity towards them. Listen, I'm going to take a risk, do something that might be like, I'm going to risk using a bad example. Okay? So just be patient with me if you don't like it, it doesn't work for you. Imagine you're in Ukraine, and the Russians move through and now occupy part of Ukraine. And here's this Russian centurion, and he comes to Jesus. How, if you're a Ukrainian and you see this Russian centurion there, how do you feel about this Russian centurion? Okay, so bring that with you. That's kind of the idea. Rome is the occupying force. Bring that with you into ancient Israel. So a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, so Jesus says to the centurion, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, 
With no one in Israel have I found such faith. Okay. So imagine Jesus is in... Again, again, I'm risking using a terrible illustration. I'm risking that I'm going to lose you guys in this, but, but I just want you to feel it, okay? So imagine Jesus is in modern-day Ukraine, a part that's occupied by the Russians. And this Russian centurion comes to Jesus and asks for the healing for his servant, and Jesus grants it. And then Jesus says, I haven't found anybody in Ukraine with this great faith. It gets worse. Watch what happens next. I tell you, many will come from the east and west, like Roman centurions, and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not only do I see great faith in this Roman centurion, but he's going to sit at table with the patriarchs and be in the most inner of the inner circles. It gets worse. While the sons of the kingdom, the, the biological heirs, will be thrown into the outer darkness. Why? Because the centurion believes, and they don't. And Jesus is commending his faith, and he's grabbing them by the throat and shaking them, saying, you need to have faith too. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They'll be on the outside, outside, like in hell, outside. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So if Jesus heals unclean, untouchable people by reaching out and touching them, he heals outsiders, outsiders, like centurion, Roman centurion, outsiders, people everyone would have hated by saying there's a place for you at the best table. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. You know, Jesus heals people who are being chased around and beaten down by demons with a word. And it's better. His word overcomes their word. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, probably Matthew's translation, it reads, He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And this, I think, is the theology of the text. This is what the text is saying about Jesus, that Jesus heals by taking. 
he took on himself the leper's uncleanness. Just like he takes on himself your sin and my sin. Jesus went and died outside the city by the hands of the Romans so that he could bring Romans inside and give them seats at the best table. He took their sin onto himself and died in their place. Jesus let Satan and his demon hordes do their worst to him and put him to death so that he could rise triumphant on the cross and conquer sin and death. Jesus heals by taking, by taking our sin and our sadness and our sickness onto himself and dying in our place. He heals by taking. Hey, what would Jesus take from you to heal you? So I've been struggling with this this week because I'm like, it's true, Jesus heals by taking. True. And you have loved ones and I have loved ones that have chronic diseases that are praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and they're not getting better. You have loved ones and I have loved ones that have died of chronic diseases. You have loved ones and I have loved ones that have died all of a sudden from inexplicable things. And I'm like, how does, how does this experience of people dying or people not getting better, how does that meet this that says that Jesus heals by taking? All week I've just been trying to reconcile my experience with what this says. So here's, here's the best I can offer you. And I think this is, it helps me to remember where we are in the story. Okay, so, so when God created the heavens and the earth, it was before sin and the curse. It was before sin and sickness and pain and death and frustration. So in creation, it was before all of that. God created a good heavens and a good earth. And then, at the end of all things, in heaven, when the new heavens and the new earth are there and they're joined, and we are in resurrected bodies, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that will be after sin and the curse. That will be after pain and sorrow and sickness and death. So, so there's before pain and sickness and sorrow and death and sin, and there's after Eden, the Garden of Eden, and heaven. And you know what? We live in between. And that's because of Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, and death by sin. And everything was cursed, and suffering, and sickness, and sadness came into the world. So because we sinned, the world is broken, 
and we suffer because the world is broken. You can't always draw a straight line between sin and suffering. Sometimes people suffer, and then there's, it's hard to understand why. And this is, this is where we are. But Jesus came and preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I believe, so I believe when Jesus heals this leper that is unclean, he's saying this is what heaven will be like. You will be utterly, completely clean. I believe this is what Jesus is doing when he heals the centurion's servant is he's saying this is what heaven will be like there'll be no more paralysis there'll be no more laying in bed suffering terribly all of that will be behind us i believe that's what jesus is doing when he heals peter's mother-in-law or when he heals um, the people who are being oppressed by demons there will come a day when they're not chasing you around anymore there will come a day when they're not beating on you anymore there'll come a day when you are completely free of them so repent so you can be part of the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Matthew chapter 5 through 7 was about. It was about repentance. So you can be part of the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus came, demonstrated this, preached this, and people liked it so much they crucified him for it. And so Jesus dies for our sins, paying for our sins, and then rises again on the third day, conquering sin, and death. And so where we are right now is what Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 describes. Where we are right now is we are waiting. We are waiting for God in Christ Jesus to return and make all things new. We are waiting for sin and death and sadness to be eradicated and for the curse to be lifted. We're waiting. But God is waiting because what God is doing is he is giving us time to repent. He is giving more people time to repent because he is unwilling that they should perish. He is unwilling that they, he doesn't want to send people to hell, so he's giving them time. He's giving us time to witness. So we're waiting. He's waiting. Here's where I think this meets us. When we are gripped by grief or sadness or frustration with our chronic illness that won't go away. Here's where I think this meets us. When we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and, we pray and, and it's not if Jesus will heal believers, but when? He will heal. This is the promise of the resurrection. You will have a resurrected body. Just like his, because you're in him. He is in you. But to demand healing now is a lot like demanding the resurrection now. I'm going to come back to. I'm going to balance that with coming back to the prayer that the leper prays in verse 2 
And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Pray for healing. Jesus heals, and sometimes he heals now. But we're waiting for the resurrection. So, what should we do? So, if Jesus heals by taking, what should we do? Number one, I think we should go to Jesus. So, this is what the leper does. He says, there's one guy that can handle this. And he goes to Jesus. Hey, I I don't know, like, where you are or what you're going through. I don't know what your secrets are. I don't know what what you'd say, like, if I shared this, everyone would be afraid of me, and everyone would keep me at a distance, like, from a 10-foot pole. I just want you to know that Jesus is not afraid of your stuff. Jesus is not afraid of it at all. You can go to Jesus. He'll cleanse it. He heals by taking. He'll take away that uncleanness. He will. I mean, he's not afraid of your uncleanness because his cleanness is so much bigger and stronger and better than your uncleanness. That's why he's not afraid of your uncleanness. He's not afraid of your impurity because his purity is so much bigger and stronger and better than your impurity. He's not afraid of your sin because his holiness is so much bigger and stronger and better than your sin. So you can go to him. You're not going to corrupt him. You're not going to make him dirty. You're not going to defile him. You can go to him and he will heal you and he will, he will take away your uncleanness. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us. Cleanse us. Make us clean from all unrighteousness. Go to him. Second, I want us to think about the centurion who came to Jesus on behalf of his servant or about the people who brought the demon-possessed or the oppressed by demons to Jesus and how Jesus healed them. I encourage you to bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. You're going to be around people this holiday season that you're only around once or twice a year. I assume at Christmas parties, at family gatherings, you're going to be around people that you're not around very often. And this would be a good time to bring them to Jesus. Who else can cleanse their uncleanness? What's more important than a relationship with Jesus? What will do more good for them in the long term than a relationship with Jesus? What will heal more than a relationship with Jesus? Bring them to Jesus. Like, could you think of somebody's name right now? Like, you don't have to tell it to the person sitting next to you, but could you think of a name right now that you're going to see this Christmas season? New Year's season and think, I'm going to be around them and I I need to start praying for them that I could bring them to Jesus. And then third, rejoice. 
rejoice, give thanks because of what he's done. So he says, and he, this, all these healings are to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. You can give thanks and rejoice that he took our uncleanness onto himself so that we could be clean. You can rejoice that we don't have to stay outside, that we get a place inside at the table of honor because he allowed himself to be taken outside the city and killed, tortured to death, to bring people that killed him inside. Like he went out and died for our sins to bring us in. You can rejoice that the demons have no power over him. This is the gift. This is the gift of taking. This is the first gift. The gift of taking. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So when we ask, what can we give thanks for? We can give thanks for the gift of taking. That he took all of it onto himself and died on the cross. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the gift of taking. That we don't have to carry it because you bore it. That we don't have to try to cleanse ourselves because you cleanse us. That we don't have to try to justify ourselves because you take away our sins and justify us when we believe. Lord, help our unbelief. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.